This podcast is brought to you by Vinzero. Vinzero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit vinzero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From Vinzero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to Vinzero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Based in London, UK, Matthew Black is Project Coordinator for the World Green Building Council, a global network leading the transformation of the built environment to make it healthier and more sustainable. As the project coordinator for their Advancing Net Zero project, Matthew works across various global and regional activities. Supporting green building councils to advance net zero in their local context and leading on the delivery and recruitment for the net carbon buildings commitment. Welcome to the program, Matthew. Pleasure to join you here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Matthew, can you tell us what is the core role of the World Green Building Council? So World GBC fulfills both an organisational and thought leadership role for the rest of the network and beyond. We work directly with the Green Building Councils to facilitate their work, but also to broadcast and communicate it to a global audience. Beyond this, we also have our own work streams and projects at World GBC, which we deliver on, often working again with the GBCs in unison, advocating for sustainable built environments in a multitude of spaces. And really, I think the final point to highlight in terms of what the core role of World GBC is, is not about World GBC, but about the Green Building Councils themselves. Um, They really are World GBC's superpower because they translate the work of our global programs into more locally applicable actions and projects, which are crucial in terms of delivering sustainable built environments across the globe. So as we enter the last part of 2022, what is it you're looking forward to? Well, we've got lots to come from World GBC in the second half of 2022. Um, First up, we're working with the Africa Regional Network um, has released the Africa Manifesto for Sustainable Cities and the Built Environment for review by the industry. And this aims to articulate the policies African leaders and government officials must implement to support the delivery of a sustainable, equitable, socially inclusive and sustainable built environment. I think this is a really crucial piece of work in the lead up to to COP27 held in Africa this year. So everyone should keep an eye out for that. And if you want to review it, please check out World GBC's website for the report. And later in the year, we've got World Green Building Week, which is our annual communications campaign uh, run by World GBC and the wider network. This year, the theme is building for everyone. And we'll be hosting events and contents across the week to support that. And finally, um, I think this is probably on everyone's agenda. The biggest event will be COP27 hosted this year in Cairo. Um, And World GBC is working hard alongside the Building to COP coalition Um, busy preparing once again the content and our engagement with this process to ensure that the built environment is front and center uh, on the agenda during the discussions during the events um, as part of the conference and continuing the momentum built last year at COP26. So apart from those um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of other content uh, released by the regional and global programs at World GBC and of course um, by all of the GBCs across the network as well. 
The World Green Building Council has a three-prong strategy focused on improving the built environment overall. Can you take us through what that looks like? Absolutely. So World GBC works in, in two main ways through which we deliver our strategy of sustainable built environments for everyone everywhere. Uh, the first is the regional teams. So we have the Americas, Europe, Africa, MENA and Asia Pacific. And the World GBC works alongside the Green Building Councils in each of these regions to uh, deliver on, on projects and foster collaboration between these networks. Now, on top of that, we also have our three global programs, and these each align to one of those three strategy pathways. So the first is the project that I work for, focused on climate action, and it's called Advancing Net Zero. And our North Star goal is the total decarbonization of the built environment. And the program is really unique because we have the privilege of a network of global GBCs and um, participating in the program. I think we're up to 30 now operating across all five regions. At the global level, our aim is to co-create a vision and a framework for best practice action to deliver and achieve these sector decarbonization goals. But then also at a regional level, the Green Building Councils who participate in the program uh, collaborate on our projects and initiatives of their own to address specific challenges within their local market. And they pull down the principles to develop locally relevant tools or resources that can help accelerate that kind of action. So this means that all the GBCs participating in Advancing Net Zero are delivering in an appropriate way for their local context. And I also just want to reference here that last week, World, uh, no, Advancing Net Zero released our annual status report that highlights in more detail all of the work of the Green Building Councils, our Net Zero Carbon Building Commitment Signatories and partners have done over the last year in relation to Net Zero. And it's really a, a one-stop shop for everyone to get um, a deep dive into the work of the network and the advancements over the last year. That sounds like a very worthwhile read. And the Climate Action Programme Advancing Net Zero, can you share with us some key facts specific to world climate, specifically around the contribution the built environment makes and why it's such a focus? So the second uh, focus is health and well-being, and our global program for this is Better Places for People. So the aim of this program is to support GBCs and their members to increase the demand and supply of green buildings, which are supportive of the health, well-being and productivity of the people within them. I think we're all aware that we spend roughly 90% of our time indoors, and so the influence of the buildings in which we live, work, play, and learn has on our well-being is just as important as environmental sustainability. The final pathway of this strategy is focused on resources and circularity, and our newest global program, the Circularity Accelerator, is focused on this area. Its aim is to accelerate the adoption of the circular economy and resource efficiency in the buildings and construction sector, often focusing on the recycling and reuse, repurposing of buildings and the materials within them to reduce carbon emissions overall. So can we circle back to your particular program, Climate Action and Advancing Net Zero, and can you share with us some key facts specific to the built environment and the contribution it makes to world climate? Absolutely. So the buildings and construction sector is responsible for approximately 37% 
of global carbon emissions and about 36% of global energy related emissions. So I think when you take that as a, as a very headline figure, um, it's a really significant proportion of overall emissions. And I think something that often gets overlooked compared to um, other uh, emission sectors that, that often get more, more news, news time, as we'd say. Some other facts are that you know, 45 to 50 percent of the materials extracted across the globe um, are used for construction. Um, you know, whether that's housing, offices, infrastructure, uh, the buildings and construction industry is a massive resource user. And I think it also, uh, in general relation to environmental sustainability, we need to be better at, at resource use. And so when you bring this all together, there are currently around 255 billion square meters of buildings in the world, but we have an additional 5.5 billion being added each year. And for a bit of context, that means a city the size of Paris is being constructed every week. So I think that really puts it into perspective how tackling the emissions from this sector is extremely important. But the good news is that green buildings and this industry represents around a $25 trillion investment opportunity by 2030. So the important thing to take away is that, yes, it's a big challenge, but there's a big opportunity in tackling these emissions. And it's something that we need to get better at and need to get better at much quicker and sooner. So let's talk about that opportunity when it comes to climate action. What is Advancing Net Zero doing in this space? So our global program, Advancing Net Zero, at the world GBC level, sort of produces reports uh, and guidance and really sets out the call to action for the sector, explaining these with, with concepts and visions with the support of our green building councils, our industry partners and our colleagues from other organisations and NGOs working in this space. The main framework through which we do this at Advancing Net Zero is called our whole life carbon vision for total decarbonisation. And this applies to the entire global buildings and construction sector. Now, the whole life carbon vision came about after the release of our Bringing Embodied Carbon Upfront report in 2019. Um, and this report was all about shifting what had traditionally been a focus on, on operational carbon emissions. So those are the emissions from uh, the energy use in your building that's going into powering your, your laptop, your kettle, your, your AC machine, and really expanding this, as we said, to a whole life carbon perspective. And this means, as the report title has in it, bringing embodied carbon as part of that conversation. And embodied carbon emissions are the emissions associated with the materials and the construction process that go into creating the buildings in which we live, work and learn. So this means addressing both operational and embodied carbon emissions, setting global targets and milestones. And by publishing our framework, we've given a way through which to approach this. And so really our vision states that by 2030, all new buildings, infrastructure and renovations should have at least 40% less embodied carbon with significant upfront carbon reductions. And all new buildings must be net zero operational carbon. And then looking further ahead by 2050, that all new buildings, infrastructure and renovations will have net zero embodied carbon 
and all buildings, including the existing building stock we have today, must be net zero operational carbon. So total decarbonisation of the built environment, is that actually possible? That's a fantastic question. I think yes, the answer has got to be yes. It's technically feasible and we know how to do it ultimately, but we need to massively increase our ambition and our action. And I think the main way to do this is through industry collaboration. You know, we have the solutions and the technology available to us today to build and retrofit net zero buildings, both in operation and embodied carbon. Yes, it's difficult, but it's achievable. And I think part of the work that Advancing Net Zero does is to show what is possible across the globe, whether it's in the Americas or Europe, Africa or Asia Pacific. Um, we're highlighting examples of this sort of increased industry action through different projects, um, such as our case study library, where we showcase net zero buildings. The Green Building Councils themselves are doing this across the globe through their certification tools, many of which have a net zero element now, and also crucially through climate initiatives, such as our net zero carbon buildings commitment that highlights the work of industry leaders who are going above and beyond this to decarbonize their portfolios further and faster than mainstream actors. I think we'll get into that a little bit later, but yes, it's absolutely possible, but we have to really step up and accelerate our action towards that. So let's talk a little bit more about those actions. When you take us through the whole life cycle approach to the built environment, how does that translate into action? So when we talk about a whole life cycle approach, we talk about both operational and embodied carbon. Operational has traditionally been the focus of decarbonisation efforts in the industry. It's much easier to get your head around decarbonizing energy sources that go into the building and producing more renewable energy. So that's solar power, wind power, geothermal. Um, that's something that I think people understand and they've often focused their decarbonization efforts in terms of tackling those emissions. But when we talk about a whole life cycle approach, this has to include embodied carbon as well. And so as we get better at tackling operational carbon, the influence and importance of embodied carbon as a proportion of those whole whole life cycle emissions increases. Embodied carbon is the emissions uh, associated with the materials and construction of your building. So this is all of the steel, the concrete and the glass, and also all of the transport of those materials and the construction process. So all the digging, um, all of the cranes, all of the cement mixers, all of this also contributes to the overall emissions of a building through its life cycle. So when we talk about a life cycle approach, there's two sides, operational carbon, we know what we need to be doing. And World GBC has set out principles in terms of informing businesses' decarbonization efforts for both operational and embodied. So for operational, the first step should be reduce and optimizing your energy demand. You need to be prioritizing consumption reduction and energy efficiency to ensure that your buildings are performing as efficiently as possible and not wasting energy. The second is to generate the balance from renewables. So this means meeting your remaining supply from renewable energy sources, whether that's on-site installations or off-site procurement of renewable energy. Um, you should be compensating for your residual emissions if you can. And this means offsetting residual operational emissions 
from sources such as refrigerants or fossil fuel connections that cannot be abated at this time with high quality, credible compensation activities. And finally, in terms of operational carbon, leaders within this space, or everyone really, should always be planning for further decarbonization. You need to be planning ahead. How are you going to remove those final uh, fossil fuel connections, that gas cooker, that heating element that you haven't yet removed? But then we need to look at embodied carbon. This is becoming increasingly important as a proportion of the overall emissions. Are you looking for a digitalisation and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey. Visit binzero.com to find out more. So Matthew, what are some of the ways we can reduce embodied carbon? So we have another set of principles for embodied carbon that makes up this whole life cycle approach. The first is to prevent. So the easiest way to avoid incurring embodied carbon from the outset is to not build or construct a new building and to see whether you can meet the necessary use by retrofitting or renovating an existing building. I think it's a pretty common phrase now in the industry that uh, the most sustainable building is one that's already been built and we absolutely subscribe to that. But as we say that, we also recognize that Um, We are going to have to build new buildings. As I mentioned earlier, uh, constructing a city the size of Paris every week. And I think it's important to recognize that we can't ban the construction of new buildings because developing regions need to urbanize in the way that developed regions have previously. So the second is to reduce and optimize. And in this sense, we're talking about the embodied emissions. So um, stakeholders involved in all stages of a building's life cycle need to evaluate each design choice using a whole life cycle approach and evaluate all of their decisions in terms of the carbon emissions that they will occur. And at each stage, they need to be um, you know, choosing lean and efficient design choices, um, minimizing their use of materials, Um, and ensuring ultimately that we incur the least amount of emissions possible. The third principle is, again, to plan for the future. So we want stakeholders to avoid future embodied carbon emissions by planning for the future in all of their choices. So this means ensuring that new buildings are able to be uh, reused and retrofitted at later life cycle stages um, to fulfill other uses, Um, to implement circular economy principles to ensure that maybe at the end of its life cycle, a building can be efficiently uh, disassembled or deconstructed and those materials recycled and reused in the future. And finally, our fourth principle in relation to tackling embodied carbon is again to compensate for residual emissions. If you're a leader in this space and you have the ability to do so, you should be compensating for your residual emissions now 
not by 2050, but to contribute to us halving emissions by 2030, hopefully to stay in line with the, with the Paris 1.5 degree scenario. So what role do you see technology playing in contributing to these initiatives? Technology has uh, a crucial role to play, but I, I want to make a, a very clear distinction. We shouldn't focus too much on future technologies that are still to be developed because we have everything available to us now to achieve the total decarbonisation of our built environment. Yes, there needs to be improvements in low carbon materials, the rollout of low carbon construction processes, including the electrification of construction machines and also in terms of operational emissions yes we still need to go further in terms of grid decarbonization and the provision of renewable energy but everything we need is there now we just need to accelerate the uptake uh, and make what is available now available to everyone across the world. So Matthew one of the ways that the World Green Building Council is translating these visions and principles into action is through your net zero carbon buildings commitment. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So we talked there about the overall vision and the principles which we've outlined for people to take action. Now, what we also need to see is accelerated action from industry leaders. And we're all familiar with plenty of climate commitments out there. And the net zero carbon buildings commitment is World GBC's answer to that for the buildings and constructor industry. We need front-runner action from these industry leaders to send the necessary demand signals for further action and accelerate change for the mainstream market. So the, the commitment really recognises this leadership action of businesses, organisations, cities, states and regions in tackling both operational and embodied carbon emissions from their portfolio. They embody this leadership and are accelerating the industry transformation by decarbonizing their own portfolios and through their business activities, advocating for further uptake of net zero. So they're taking action crucially much further and faster by 2030. And this in turn is stimulating uh, innovative approaches, solutions and the business models needed for the entire sector to reach our overall 2050 goals. The commitment now has um, 135 signatories, 28 cities and six regions. And the businesses and organizations signed up to the commitment now account for approximately 7.2 million tonnes of CO2 of portfolio emissions annually, nearly 20,000 assets and more than $415 billion in turnover. So really we're looking at a cohort of industry leaders here who are taking all of those things we've set out in terms of the vision and the principles, implementing them for the buildings that they have direct control over and accelerating that industry transformation. So it's quite incredible, really, with all the encouragement and activity and the influence that's happening globally. What do you think it is that is slowing down the advancement of net zero and getting people on board with the requirement to drive towards it? There are plenty of things that are that are slowing down net zero. I think one of the way one of the points that we often bring out is data. 
So we need the industry to be far more collaborative and transparent in the data that they're collecting to share this data so that they can all learn from each other, but also even bringing it back a step for more data to be collected. We're in a completely different space now from maybe, say, five or 10 years ago, but we need to take another massive step forward so that we can learn from the action being taken across the globe and identify um, benchmarks, targets and best practices that can be applied across different regions. With all the encouragement and activity and influence globally to get on board with the drive towards net zero, what is it you think that is holding or slowing down the advancement? So one of the other points that I'd like to raise is access to finance. I think this is really crucial in terms of enabling the uptake of net zero buildings across the globe, um, both in developed and developing countries. We need to see financial institutions step up in terms of their offering of more instruments linked to and encouraging sustainable buildings. Um, And we also need to see uh, industry call for it. Financial institutions need to see that demand first before they react to it. Um, Another point is bridging knowledge uh, and access gaps. So it's important that we continue to educate and and share knowledge across the world to ensure that all regions have the same access to uh, efficient design knowledge that we have in developed nations. Communication of this is extremely important, and it's one of the pieces of work that World GBC and the Green Building Councils do as part of their daily activities. And finally, another point would be improving access to uh, improved construction process and low carbon materials. Here in Europe or North America, we're very fortunate in having a, a developed market with access to these innovative materials and technologies that allow us now to design and build net zero buildings if we choose to. But that's not always the case across the globe, and we need to improve that access if we're going to accelerate global transformation and achieve that total sector decarbonisation goal. So what are some of the ways Green Building Councils participating in the program are advancing net zero? The Green Building Councils are really World GBC's superpower. It means we have an organisation active in each local market that's translating and delivering on the thought leadership we produce and really accelerating action in those local contexts. At a regional level, GBCs collaborate on programs and initiatives to address these specific regional challenges, uh, and then they pull down the principles of these local frameworks. But they're advancing net zero in loads of different ways that's appropriate. So for example, we have DGNB in Germany, They've integrated a whole life carbon perspective into their certification activities for some time, uh, culminating in the climate positive certification. Singapore GBC delivered a super low energy certification tool, which is locally uh, relevant due to the highly dense and land scarce urban built environment situated in a tropical climate. Hence, it requires a a local solution applicable to the context. But this, too, has evolved into a zero energy and positive energy certifications as well. But really, beyond certification tools, GBCs continue to produce industry-leading reports, guidance, benchmarks and targets, and research that is advancing net zero in their local context. I wanted to pull out a few more examples of that. Through World GBC's Building Life Project, Um, GBCs who participate in the European Regional Network are collaborating 
to galvanize action on built environments through national and regional decarbonization roadmaps. So we've got 10 green building councils participating here who are representing Croatia, Finland, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, the Netherlands, Poland, Spain. And these whole life carbon roadmaps are, are really crucial in setting out a, a, an industry plan for how to decarbonize. And one example of which was the, the UK GBC net zero whole life carbon roadmap for the built environment that was released at COP26 last November. So talking a little bit more about transformation, what are some of the advanced net zero initiatives you have seen over the past few years? Each GBC has their own way of influencing their industry. And and one of the key ways in which they often do this is through advocacy efforts. An example being from New Zealand Green Building Council. Uh, They've delivered incredible policy work and government engagement over the last few years, culminating in their zero carbon roadmap a document that illustrates the pathway and solutions to make all of Aotearoa's homes and buildings zero carbon. And this included suggestions to improvements in the building code that has been taken up by the New Zealand government. So you can really see that influence coming in from the Green Building Councils, taking these ideas and applying them and influencing their local markets. I think a a final example, we've talked also about, you know, education and, and communicating to the wider industry. And a fantastic example of this is from Emirates GBC in the UAE. They launched their Net Zero Center of Excellence, uh, a think tank and accelerator uh, combining multiple pathways of the advancing net zero agenda. And it's really a platform for government, academia and civil society and the private sector to learn and collaborate together and to share knowledge on net zero buildings to support future implementation of regulations, development of tools and resources to advance net zero in the country. And this also includes corporate and government engagement facilitated at both a local and national level through policy roundtables, one-to-one meetings, and the facilitation of of workshops and committees and training and technical uh, sessions as well. So how about some of the initiatives that you've seen from the private sector contributing towards the advancement of net zero? So initiatives from the private sector are really crucial in terms of highlighting what is possible. With the net zero carbon buildings commitment, we really need industry leaders to go further and faster than mainstream actors so that they make a path that's easier to follow. And we see a lot of this leadership come from our commitment signatories. So an example being Arup last year announced at at COP26 that they would be mandating whole life carbon assessments for all of their projects moving forwards. Now, this is a really, um, really crucial bit of industry innovation because it means that from now on, they will always, by carrying out these assessments, reducing emissions at every point that they can by showing their clients different options and really pushing that low carbon approach. Previously, it might have been uh, at an extra cost um, or only at a client's discretion if, if whole life carbon assessments were carried out on projects. But by making it mandatory, it really allows Arup to highlight to their clients the impact that their projects are having and guide them to deliver the most sustainable projects that they can. 
Um, another example would be from British Land. So British Land are a developer based in the UK. They've recently revamped their sustainability strategy and how they approach all of their developments and have set some really industry-leading targets to deliver net zero operational projects and net zero embodied carbon projects from 2030 onwards. This is really crucial. You know, we need these big industry leaders to set the tone and to set a path that allows for those demand signals to be sent to the rest of the industry, the further development of low carbon construction processes, low carbon materials that will allow more mainstream and smaller actors to follow in their footsteps. But also beyond sort of these individual actors, we're seeing other initiatives spring up. So an example would be Steel Zero or Concrete Zero. These are two initiatives run by uh, the Climate Group, strong partners of World GBC. And these initiatives aim to uh, encourage their signatories to procure low carbon steel and low carbon concrete. And again, by setting those benchmarks and targets that these companies sign up to, they're sending a really strong demand signal uh, to material producers that all of these companies active within the industry want and are demanding basically low carbon materials and that the innovation process behind that needs to accelerate in order to meet that demand. So considering all the activity going on in advancing towards net zero, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for the program? I think the biggest opportunities ahead for the project and the industry as a whole is to continue on our current path. Our sector has a significant impact in terms of the emissions that it contributes globally, but therefore this means that there's a significant opportunity for us to decarbonize. We have to continue to highlight and celebrate the, the, the industry leading action that we're seeing from some players. We must continue to uh, collaborate and, and, and share knowledge to accelerate that action further. But also, in general, we need to keep communicating and broadcasting what we already know, technology and the solutions that we have today, and spread that around so that everyone can achieve sustainable built environments everywhere. When you think future and you think about advancing towards net zero, what is it that excites you the most? The first thing that excites me is the shift in the conversation we've seen over the last four to five years on embodied carbon. And importantly, the action that we're starting to see across the industry in tackling this increasingly significant sections of emissions in relation to the built environment. And I think this then feeds into an idea that at a hopefully not too distant point, there will be no more arguments about the business case or the feasibility of net zero buildings. That within less than 10 years, we'll be at a point where all new buildings are built to be super energy efficient and net zero ready for a future decarbonized grid, or indeed that they might already be self-sufficient thanks to uh, on-site installed renewables. And that alongside this, we're treating embodied carbon as important as operational and ensuring that we're decarbonizing the materials and construction processes just as much as we're decarbonizing our energy sources. And that this transformation isn't just reserved for new buildings, that globally we're starting to take retrofitting seriously to transform and decarbonize our existing building stock as well. I think all of this together would, would seriously mean that, that buildings and the built environment as a whole are truly acting as, a, as the critical climate solution that we know they can be.
Well, Matthew, it's been great to have you on the program and to hear more about the wonderful initiatives that the World Green Building Council are undertaking. We very much look forward to hearing and seeing the results of advancing towards net zero in the future. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Anthea. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening.